0: Hello from Oxford. It's great to um, join you online for this talk on the life of Deborah. Thank you so much for having me at HTBB, and thank you to Miles and Sarah for the invitation. Um, It's deeply appreciated. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to open them at the book of Judges, chapters four and five, where we see into um, the life of, of Deborah, this hero of the faith. And we see, um, as we sort of have a bit of an introduction to this book, we see that the book of Judges is actually one of the most kind of confronting books of the Old Testament. There's uh, quite a lot of kind of gore and um, war and things that make us feel a bit uncomfortable. It's set in a historical time period of 1200 BC, so about 1200 years before the life of Jesus, and it's just after Joshua's battles where he'd been seeking to establish the children of Israel in their own land, Um, and it's set before Israel has a king. So it's in a sort of time of turmoil, After um, the exodus, we've come out of Egypt, we've come out of slavery, and we're kind of in the land, but we don't yet have a king, we don't yet have the rule of law, or the sense of a nation state really being genuinely established, or um, a a, a sort of recognisable leadership structure to the nation. And that turmoil really, I think, uh, reverberates throughout the book. Judges 21 verse 25 puts it like this, in those days Israel had no king, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Now actually I think that that description is something perhaps we can resonate with today. Everyone just did what was right in their own eyes. Things were in turmoil, the structures that one ought to be able to trust were just were not there. And so although there may be lots we can't identify with, there will be lots of features of, of this era and of this text that we can. So what about that name Judges? What does it mean? Well, it's not talking about panelled courtrooms and barristers in wigs and gowns. And it's not talking about shiny law firms with sort of very detailed contract negotiations on, on glass tables. It is talking about judgment as arbitration, discerning, and deciding. In fact, the book is inviting us to wonder whether the the decisions and the judgments that are being made are right or wrong. It's actually quite profound as a reader. We read it and we're drawn into decision making, to discernment. How do I know what's right? How do I know what's wrong? How do I know what God wants? And then we see the consequences of people following wrong judgments, or of error being built upon error, and the consequences of of great evil being unleashed, and then what a loving God does in that kind of context. There's no Moses, there's no Joshua, no sort of one anointed leader to lead everyone. And um, there are no kind of boundaries or um, systems yet or processes in place. And our our, our piece of scripture that we're looking at today, Judges chapters 4 and 5 in the life of Deborah, starts with this phrase, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the context had been that there was a man called Ehud, who had won a great sort of military victory against Moab, and there had been peace in Israel for 80 years. But that peace didn't bring fruitfulness, it didn't bring worship of God. In fact, the people sort of descended into moral degeneration. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And so Deborah testifies to this in chapter 5, verse 7, village life in Israel ceased until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. In other words, even village life, even the structure of just that of a small community had collapsed into evil. So there's a man called Syzeria and he's a kind of military commander and he's up in the north of the territory and he's cruelly oppressing the people up in the north. He has a first-class army, he has... um, thousands and thousands and thousands of men and it also has 900 iron chariots. It would have felt a bit like the world's superpower <clears throat> with their military machines trained on this small group of people and so they're living with utter moral confusion personally, they don't really know what's right or wrong, even the village isn't functioning they're living with this power sort of looming over there on the horizon and after 20 years of that they fall on their knees and they finally ask God for help, chapter 4 verse 3. A disorientating time, everything is in motion, everything is unstable, fear is abounding, nothing is secure and what do people do? That's the moment they cry out to God and how does God answer? God's answer is to raise up a person and this person is called Deborah. Her name means a bee and our bumblebees are sort of emblematic of industry, of patience, of wisdom and perhaps of usefulness and Deborah possesses all of those qualities as well as a sting for her enemies But actually, when we look at the Hebrew roots of her name, it's made up of two words. The first word, Dabar, means word, from which we get God's word. And the second, Ah, Dabar, Ah, the second, Ah, means breath or spirit. So Deborah's name means word and the breath of the spirit. That's what God sends when people cry out to him for help. He sends the word inspired by the Spirit and lived out in the life of Deborah. So Deborah sends for this guy called Barak. She gets a pro- prophetic word from God about taking on Sisera, and she tells him to take 10,000 men and to fight. And he's a bit worried. So has got 100,000 men and these 900 iron chariots. So Barak is a bit worried. And he says, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. Now, it's interesting. That reminds me of of, um, Moses's words to God. Unless you go with me, we cannot go up from this place. And Deborah says, well, certainly I'll go with you. But it means that God is going to deliver Zerah the evil man up in the north, into the hands of a woman. Now that's exactly what happens. The battle is won. Um, Seizira flees on foot from his chariots and he goes to the tent of a man he knows and the man's wife, Jael, lets him in and he thinks these people are allies and so he falls asleep feeling safe and she actually kills him with a tent peg through the head, hammering it through. I told you Judges was quite gruesome and violent. Now that act, a woman bringing deliverance, puts an end to the violence that they've experienced for the next 40 years. People had cried out to God after 20 years of oppression and God's answer is to touch the heart of an ordinary woman like Deborah and to use her for his kingdom purposes. So, what are we doing when we read the Old Testament and we read a story like the story of Deborah? Remember, she lived twelve hundred years before Jesus. People are killing people with tent pegs and hammers. This is um, this is rather strange stuff, but it is holy scripture. God breathed, and even on purely historical terms, it's fascinating. This is the account of a woman's life from 1200 years before Jesus God is moving in the lives of ordinary people don't be blase about how amazing that is when we hold the Bible in our hands we hold something precious in our hands now when we're reading the Old Testament as Christians we're reading it back through the lens of Jesus so we're reading the Old Testament because of Jesus but the Old Testament is pointing forwards towards Jesus, it's like a narrative arc all pointing towards Christ, everything moving along that arc towards Jesus and that means that Deborah is pointing not just to herself as a deliverer of God's people but to the ultimate deliverer, the one who was seen by other people as weak and feeble, not because they were female, but because he was despised and rejected, and one from whom men turned their faces. But he actually turned out to be the deliverer. You see, Deborah points to Jesus in that way. Deborah points to Jesus by leaving the comfort of her home for the danger of the cause, the battle. She's willing to stand up and see evil and oppression defeated in order to bring peace and comfort to her people, that's all pointing to Jesus who does that in the ultimate sense, who stands up and is prepared to go to the cross, take evil and oppression onto himself and bring his people peace. So let's take a little look at the specifics of Deborah's life and see if God might have some words for us today that we can learn from this life and hear his word to us from her. So firstly, Deborah was a prophetess. Chapter four, verse four tells us Deborah was a prophetess. In the Old Testament, that meant the ability to discern and hear and know the mind and purpose of God and to declare it to others. The Old Testament Hebrew word nabu for prophet means both to proclaim and to be called someone who's been called to be a proclaimer. And in the Old Testament, this was an office reserved for special individuals who were prophets in a particular time and place. They might give future promises of God or warnings from God, but they communicated with people. Now, we know from the book of Joel in the Old Testament a bit later on that Joel prophesied and looked forward to the day, one day when all God's people would prophesy. And that day is now, is today, because of the giving of the Holy Spirit. So we can all receive gifts of prophecy, but in the Old Testament, it was reserved for a few. Prophecy was the main means of God's revelation of himself within the Old Testament. And so Deborah, is exercising a really special role and it is significant that God called her as a woman as well as calling men to this role. She sat under a particular palm tree which was known as the palm of Deborah in chapter 4 verse 5 and she shared words of wisdom as people came to seek her counsel. So, Deborah was a person who heard from God and who spoke God's word into multiple situations. How desperately we need that gift of prophecy in the church today. Deborah was a wife. We, say, we see, secondly, chapter 4, verse 4, she had a husband called Lapidoff. That means torches or flashes of lightning. And he's only mentioned here. It seems he was pretty fiery and feisty character. He would have needed to be a really strong and secure person to be married to a person with such giftedness. Being a wife neither qualified nor disqualified Deborah for a ministry She exercised this leadership ministry in her nation and she happened to be married. Her marital status did not qualify her and it did not disqualify her. Do you believe that for yourself? Are you waiting to be married in order to be useful to God? Or are you thinking, because I'm married, I'm so busy, I've got all of this, that and the other to be getting on with, that I really don't have time for all this God stuff. Deborah challenges both paradigms. Do not be paralysed by marital status. Deborah shows us that despite her marital status in that context, she could exercise leadership. Thirdly, she was a leader. Chapter four, verse five. She was the fifth of the judges of Israel. These were people that God raised up to deliver his people from bondage to idolatry and to speak truth into confusion and darkness and storms. The Bible says that all of Israel was under Deborah's jurisdiction. Who would like to say that the Bible is sexist when we read a passage like this? God called Deborah to lead and she ruled for 40 years Before England had a queen, Israel had a female leader called Deborah. She was commended by God. Her leadership was characterised by peace. In your spheres of influence, is that true of you? In your home, your work, your community, your church, is there peace? Does the Prince of Peace characterise your leadership? Deborah was not striving or self-serving or sharp-elbowed or insecure. She brought peace because she pointed to the Prince of Peace. Deborah was a prophet. She heard from God. She preached and spoke God's word and she had wisdom. She was a wife. Her marital status didn't qualify or disqualify her. She was a leader who led in peace and she was a warrior. She fought with words, but she was also prepared to actually enter the field of battle that was appropriate there and then, and that was a physical field of battle, and that was an extraordinary thing for a woman to do. Against impossible odds, 10,000 against 100,000, no iron chariots versus 900 chariots. Against impossible odds, Deborah accompanies Barak and 10,000 in the army, and then God accompanies them. A hailstorm comes and blinds their opponents. A river is swollen and disorientates the opposing army, and so a military victory is won. Deborah steps up into the battle. Is God calling you to step into spiritual battles. It takes courage to stand against humanly impossible odds. Are there fields of battle and struggle that God has called you to and he wants to encourage you through this life of this woman in scripture to trust him, to take courage in him and to step into the field of battle you've been called to. She was a warrior She was courageous. Courage doesn't mean the absence of fear. Courage means obedience to God, trust in God, even as we feel fear. Um, One of my friends is a leader in the church and he tells the story of a particular couple and they've made a promise to God that every day they were going to give five portions of scripture to a friend or just someone that they met every day, someone that, that didn't know Jesus. And so they're driving, and they stop for petrol and at the petrol station they're standing a man in militant clothes armed, standing to attention, looking very ominous, looking like a frightening person to them. And so the husband puts the petrol in the car and um, the wife says to him, look darling, there's your number five, give him some piece, a piece of the scriptures, I, I think God's saying we should give it to him and he sort of laughs nervously and he says no, 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 goes and pays pays for the petrol, comes back into the car, gets, shuts the door and drives off and as he drives off the woman said, you didn't give it to him, did you? He says, no, 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 I didn't feel led, I don't think that was God at all. She says, well on the day of judgment when we stand before Christ and I say to Jesus, I'm so sorry about this man, I wanted him to have a, a portion of scripture but my husband wouldn't give it to him, you'll have to answer to Jesus. The husband is, is really annoyed at this, it's like the lowest of blows as far as he's concerned, so turns the car around, drives back to the petrol station, gets out of the car, as he's slamming the door he says, if you want a martyr for a husband you can have one and he walks towards the man. He produces um, the portion of scripture and he hands it to the man, barely saying a word to him other than a greeting or saying, I'm giving you this gift. And he turns around back towards the car and begins to walk. But as he walks, he hears a thud. The man who'd been standing to attention has fallen to his knees. The pastor runs back to him and says, what's happening here? And the man says, a few days ago, I had a dream. And in that dream, a man dressed in white, who I think was Jesus, told me to come here. I walked here, it's taken me days to walk here. The dream told me to, to, wait, to wait here until someone gave me the book of life. Thank you for stopping and giving me the book of life. And as um, he prayed with him, the man turned to Jesus. Courage is not an absence of fear. Courage is trust in the one who is the deliverer and it's a stepping up into the field of battle God's called us to. And Deborah was a worshipper. She was courageous, fitly and sickly. She was a worshipper. She writes this song that is regarded as one of the finest pieces of Hebrew poetry. It praises God, the one who establishes Himself, who enables triumph over enemies, and and uh, it's a beautiful hymn of victory. And in this song. Deborah points to the pre-incarnate Christ, verse 23 of chapter 5, the angel of the Lord who destroys Israel's enemies and she also speaks of a typological uh, prediction of the sun arising in might to destroy God's enemies. That's a picture of Jesus in order to save people and make them like himself. Deborah's worship song honours and points to Christ and Deborah's song is the theologically significant. You see there are a number of women's songs in the Bible that are deeply theologically significant. Eve is promised in the book of Genesis that her seed will crush the serpent's head, that it will be through a woman that the Messiah comes into the world and that is predicted along the narrative arc through singing women. We see Miriam alongside Moses as God's people have come out of slavery into deliverance. Miriam leads God's people in worship, singing of the Deliverer who's brought them out of slavery, but pointing forward to the ultimate Deliverer, Jesus. We see this song of Deborah, the woman singing of the God who triumphs over enemies and will deliver his people. We encounter Hannah after she's become pregnant with Samuel, singing a song of praise to God. And um, and, and that child that she's going to bear, Samuel will be the one who inaugurates the Davidic kingdom through whom Jesus comes into the world. And then we meet the teenage Mary who meets the angel Gabriel who is told You will have a child. He will save his people from their sins. And what does she do when she says, I'm a virgin? She discovers she's pregnant. She's carrying the Messiah. She sings, my soul magnifies the Lord. The song of the woman is a song of deliverance pointing to the one who is the fulfilment, Jesus. Deborah's song is theologically significant. It sits within scripture, pointing us to the ultimate deliverer, pointing us to the one who brings the victory, the one who brings the breakthrough, the Lord Jesus. You see, worship and battle go together, and Deborah knew that. Deborah was a pastor. She's called in chapter five, verse seven, a mother in Israel. We don't know if she she had biological children, who they were, but we know she had children. We know she was a mother in Israel. She had many spiritual children. Biological motherhood or not did not qualify her or disqualify her from being a mother in Israel. She was anointed, gifted, prophetic, battling, pioneering, pastoral, parental leader an inclusive leader who mentions every single tribe in her song about her battle, tender and courageous. What a model for us. And she wins the peace. She's a person of peace. The result of her ministry is 40 years of peace. Not peace as resignation in the face of injustice, abuse or evil. Peace by rising up and winning peace. Not there's nothing to worry about, stick your head in the sand, don't think about it. Not peace as resignation or an acceptance of subjugation. Not peace as cowardice or laziness. Not peace as a fear of conflict. Peace-making. A fought for, won, battled for peace. Deborah points us to Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one who through his bloodshed on the cross makes peace, who is our warrior, our reconciler and the one who longs to gather us. As a mother gathers the chicks, so Jesus says he longs to gather us under his wings. So as we look at the life of Deborah, what inspires you? Is God calling you to courage, not never feeling fear, courage, even when you feel fear, trusting him and stepping into his promises? Is he calling you to fight? Is he calling you to be a spiritual warrior who wins battles on your knees? Is he calling you to worship, to write those songs of deliverance? Is he calling you to be a leader, Is he calling you to be like Deborah, this mother in Israel? Why don't we invite the Holy Spirit to come and invite him to begin those works in our lives of what he's calling us to through Deborah's life. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come, Holy Spirit. I sense that there are some of us who are called to peacemaking, There's turbulence, there are disagreements, even rage between different parties. And God is calling you, perhaps in your workplace or your family, to exercise this ministry of peacemaking. In the name of Jesus, through the reconciliation that Jesus can bring, he wants to call us to that powerful ministry of peacemaking. That's you just invite the Spirit to come into your heart right now, into your life, and to show you where to start. Some of us are called and stirred around worship, battling worship. Songs that point to you and speak of the Deliverer and bring the ministry of the Deliverer where we worship. Holy Spirit, will you stir in us new songs of praise and worship, truth on fire? And for some of us, we've disqualified ourselves. We've thought, I I can't lead, I can't step out and speak. Maybe through our marital status, maybe because of something else to do with our status, we've counted ourselves out. And Deborah, this morning, today, is a reminder, a reminder that you are not disqualified. So Holy Spirit, we pray for those who have counted themselves out, that you would speak your words of truth and life right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together. And we offer you our whole lives as a living sacrifice. We want to be worshippers of you. We want to be peacemakers like Deborah. And we want to be courageous for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.